After a decade as a full-time sole practitioner in architecture, I've made many mistakes and learned more than a few lessons the hard way. And I bet you'd love to hear about some of those mistakes, right? That's exactly what I'll be sharing with you in this episode of Architecture Business Club, the weekly podcast for solo and small firm architecture practice owners just like you who want to build a profitable, future-proof architecture business that fits around their life. I'm the host, John Clayton. If you want to get notified when I release a new episode and get access to free resources and exclusive offers, then go to mrjohnclayton.co.uk forward slash ABC and sign up to my free weekly email newsletter. Now let's dig into 10 lessons from 10 years as a sole practitioner in architecture. Hey everybody, welcome to Architecture Business Club. This episode is going out around February 2024 which marks the 10-year anniversary of when my architecture business stopped being a side hustle, when I handed in my notice, left my job, and went all in on my business as a sole practitioner in architecture. I'd love to tell you that everything worked out perfectly, that it's all been a roaring success. But in truth, over the last 10 years as a sole practitioner, I've personally found it really hard and made a lot of mistakes along the way, too many mistakes to list in a single podcast episode. So to make your life as a sole practitioner or as a small practice owner a little easier, I thought I'd share 10 lessons that I've learned the hard way so that you don't have to. Like when I spent nearly a grand on brochure ads that led to zero leads, or the time I rushed into outsourcing a drawing package for the provider's work to be total rubbish. I honestly spent more time red penning his drawings with all the bits he'd missed than it would have taken me to just draw it all myself. And I still had to pay his £2,000 invoice. All the time I spent months planning a rebrand and a significant chunk of cash on a brand new website, which with hindsight was totally unnecessary at that time. Or when I took on a difficult client, even though my gut was telling me otherwise. Inevitably, there were problems and I totally mishandled it. And then I got really stressed out trying to resolve them. Some mistakes have been big. Some have been small. You will make mistakes running your business. So don't beat yourself up about it. Lesson one is learn from your mistakes, fail fast and move on. So as you can tell, I've made a few expensive mistakes along the way, and this is not an excuse, but maybe my my financial naivety was perhaps because I was never really motivated by money. Obviously, I need money to get by. We all need money, but I never thought of money as being particularly important to me. The things that I'd always valued more than money were things like freedom and fulfillment in the work I was doing. The The freedom to work when and where I wanted, to be able to pick my kids up from school, to to never miss the school sports day or the kids' Christmas play, to have flexible working hours and family holidays when I wanted to, and also to be fulfilled in what I was doing, like being able to choose what clients and projects I worked on, being the decision maker in the business and getting all the personal and professional development opportunities that I'd been craving. 
But even if your motivation isn't money, money is the lifeblood of your business. If there isn't enough money flowing through your business, then you won't be able to enjoy the level of freedom and fulfillment that you've always wanted. In fact, you could end up with less freedom than when you're employed. And even worse, you could end up feeling so unfulfilled in your work that you even consider returning to employment. And I know this is true because I've been there a number of times during the last decade when I've had those very thoughts running through my mind. So lesson two is, even if you're not motivated by money, don't neglect getting to grips with your numbers. Look, I'm sure you're great at what you do. And as a chartered architectural technologist, I thought I was great too. Like particularly when it came to technical design and dealing with people. So because I was like by all accounts doing pretty great at my job, I thought that would translate to being pretty awesome at running my own architecture business. Like how wrong was I? Like there's so many other soft skills that are required to run your own business, whether that's as a sole practitioner or as part of a partnership or as the principal of a small practice. And unfortunately, current architecture courses, whether that's traditional architecture, if you're training to be an architect or as a technologist or related professions, they just don't provide enough education on the business side of architecture. If they did, then maybe we wouldn't need podcasts like this. So most of us start up our businesses without really having a true understanding of what is going to be involved and what proportion of your time you'd need to spend doing unfamiliar or uncomfortable tasks. Basically, everything else other than the project work that you already know how to do. So lesson three is that being a great architect, a great architectural technologist or a great designer is not enough to thrive as a sole practitioner or small practice owner in architecture. In fact, this might blow your mind a little bit, it's not even essential. The truth is, you don't need to be a great architect or architectural designer to run a thriving architecture business, as much of that work can and probably should be delegated anyway. But unless you're already a skilled business person, you may need to invest time and money in education, coaching and mentoring to plug your knowledge and confidence gaps so that you can become the person you need to be for your architecture business to really thrive. During my time as a sole practitioner, I've worked with many domestic clients. I would get really frustrated that they, they didn't value what I offered in the way that I did. They didn't really understand what work was involved in their project and they usually thought that anybody that could draw a set of plans was was an architect, including me, even though that there's architects, there's architectural technologists, there's architectural designers, there's surveyors, there's all sorts of different people working within the world of architecture that offer what can seem for a particular domestic client to be a very similar service. What we do is complex. You know how to do it, but your customers don't. Even the ones that claim to have some knowledge about the process or perhaps have worked with an architect before. So even if you follow a similar process to other practices, such as following the RIBA plan of work, you are different. Your personality, your design approach, your values, how you communicate with your clients 
even down to things like your response times, your presentation style, it is all different. And your customers only know what you tell them. So make sure you tell them everything they need to know to understand how you work, where you sit in the marketplace and what value you offer. So lesson four is that educating your customers is on you. When I started my architecture business, I didn't know that within a few short years, my family and I would relocate across the country. Despite my original business aspirations, my niche had become my local area with 90% of my customers within a 15-mile radius of my hometown. So when we relocated 250 miles away from Lancashire to Norfolk, it threw up many challenges. And I tried to ease this transition by setting up a virtual office address and a local phone number in East Anglia ahead of the move. But in reality, it was like starting from scratch again and my income nosedived after we moved. If your customer base is local and you rely solely on referrals, relocating can be really hard. In the absence of you know, not having enough uh, clients in East Anglia, I spent the first 18 months or so after we We moved, travelling back and forth to Lancashire once a month to serve the clients that were still getting in touch from that area. And, you know, I won't lie, it was fun at first because I didn't know many people in Norfolk and I had the opportunity to visit family and friends, but the novelty wore off over time. In hindsight, had I had a true specialism or perhaps a laser-focused niche or, or a way of working that was genuinely different to the norm. I could have attracted higher value clients from further afield. I'd have been less dependent on clients from just my local area. And perhaps I could have also looked at creating and promoting some online services or or resources that I could get paid for, which would have further protected my income if and when we decided to move. So lesson number five is to look for ways to diversify your income so you are not just reliant on referrals. Remember, don't forget to subscribe to my free weekly email newsletter. You can do that at mrjohnclayton.co.uk forward slash ABC. And if you enjoy this episode, then please visit podchaser.com, search for Architecture Business Club and leave a five-star review. Now back to the show. At some point in your working life, you may be faced with a crisis that results in you taking unexpected time off work. This could be health-related, it could be family-related. For me, my crisis was being diagnosed with testicular cancer. Now, don't worry, I'm, I'm cured. And what I went through is probably a story for another day and, and probably even for a different podcast. But the whole experience resulted in a chunk of unplanned time off work at a point when I had no financial contingency. As it was during the height of the COVID pandemic, I did have the option of a bounce back loan to help with my cash flow. And if it wasn't for that, I'd have probably gone bust. Now, you might not have faced challenges like this yet but if you're a sole practitioner or if you're in business for long enough the probability of encountering some kind of unexpected crisis is going to go up and you can either ignore this or you can do something about it so lesson six if you haven't done so already is to start building an emergency fund in your business 
And if funds are tight, start small. It's something that you can build up over time. I would say perhaps enough money to cover three months of all of your outgoings, your running costs, your salary salary requirements is a good place to aim to begin. People that know me well know that historically I've been quite the perfectionist and I used to look at this as an admirable trait, which in many instances it can be. I mean, I would spend countless hours working on like one architectural drawing to get it just right even though it was probably good enough to issue hours before, or I would spend ages pondering over a new business idea, so much so that I got bored of it before I even had a chance to implement it or launch it into the world. As the business owner, it can stifle your opportunities for growth if you are constantly striving for perfection in everything that you do. So lesson seven is when it comes to your business, done is better than perfect because once it's done there can be iterations there can be improvements you can quickly test whether things work or not focus on making progress not creating perfection stop overthinking or procrastinating just get it done and move on when i started as a sole practitioner at least in the beginning i expected to be doing most if not all of the work myself you know actually doing the work the architecture stuff, delivering the architectural services that that clients had paid money for for me to provide. Plus, you know, the other stuff that needed to be done too, like the bookkeeping, the sales calls, updating my website, answering the phone. Some of these tasks are things that I'd expected and there was other tasks that perhaps not so much, things that I didn't expect I would need to do. But I'd thought that over time, as I made more money, that I'd be able to afford to outsource tasks hire team members to increase my capacity and ultimately to grow my business and my bank balance in the process. In reality, I found it very hard to let go of doing all of the things. Nobody could do the work as well as I could. I mean, nobody knew my business like I did and I I couldn't afford to hire anyone at the time, right? This is what expert business mentor Chris Ducker calls superhero syndrome. This is where you tell yourself that only you can do it, that you have to do everything, that you can manage to juggle it all. In hindsight, I totally got it the wrong way around, that by doing everything myself, I'd severely limited the number of projects that I could take on, so my potential revenue was restricted, and I ended up stuck in a loop, getting by each month hand-to-mouth and, and really not feeling like I could get to that next step in my business journey. On the other hand, if I'd let go of as many tasks that I could through simplifying what I did, outsourcing, hiring the right people, then I would have been able to take on more projects and make more money. And ultimately, all the help that you need is just a phone call or an email away. There are other people out there that can do things as good, if not better, than you. So lesson A is do what you do best, delegate the rest. So the next time you're trying to figure out how to do a task or how to squeeze another task into your weekly schedule, why not stop and ask yourself who could do this? As I mentioned already, there is a lot of stuff to do just to keep your business running, never mind growing your business. And it stands to reason that you are not going to enjoy doing every single thing in your business yourself. I, you know, I bet when you 
thought about starting your own architecture business, you didn't think, oh man, I just love bookkeeping and accounting. I can't wait to open that spreadsheet today or reconcile those account transactions or or complete my tax return. Like, yay, completing my PI insurance renewal forms. Awesome, I can't wait. Fiddling with graphics or writing captions for your social media accounts. Oh man, I, I just live for this stuff. Obviously, I'm joking here. <laughs> and it's not just the the non-architectural businessy admin stuff that can steal your joy. It can be the architectural work too, especially if you have that scarcity mindset where you can't help but say yes to every single inquiry that comes through, even though that some of them you might already know deep down they're not a good fit for you. It's not the type of project work that you you want to be involved in or, or that you want to become known for. So lesson nine is you get to decide what you do in your business and what direction your business goes. So if you're personally doing things in your business that you don't enjoy doing or doing something that saps the joy out of you, get somebody else to do it. And if it's something that doesn't make you any money, maybe you should think about stop doing it altogether. I consider myself to be more of an introvert than an extrovert. I I like my own company, so I thought working alone would suit me And besides, some colleagues could be a little bit annoying, frankly, a bit useless sometimes. I'm I'm not going to mention any names. (laughs) So when I went all in on my business full time and I left uh, the other practice that I was working at, I was really surprised at how much I missed having colleagues. I didn't have anyone by my side to quickly run ideas by or to sense check how to respond to a site query or a client request. There was none of those like water cooler moments or chats during the coffee breaks about, you know, what we'd been up to at the weekend or about the the TV box set that somebody was hooked on or the amazing gig that someone had been to recently. There was no more office nights out or staff summer barbecues or Christmas parties to get invited to. Running your own architecture business can be very lonely, especially as a sole practitioner, and at times I felt really lonely, especially when we, we first relocated to Norfolk. What I didn't realise at the time was that I was I was craving connection, connection that had been lost. So if you're feeling this way, don't wait for somebody to call you or or wait for that event invitation to land in your inbox. Be proactive and, and seek out ways to connect with your kind of people, whether that's in person or over the phone or online. So lesson 10 is don't do this alone. Go find your tribe and aim for the amount of connection that you personally need to stay sane, to make being your own boss enjoyable and fun. Whether that's a little or a lot of connection, whatever works for you is absolutely fine. So that's a wrap. If I've shared anything that's that's resonated with you or it's been helpful in some way, then please let me know. You can drop me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram, or you can send me an email and I'll make sure that all of my contact details are in the show notes. Next time, I'll be chatting about the power of mastermind groups with expert business mentor, Chris Ducker. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Architecture Business Club. If you liked this episode, think other people might enjoy it, or just want to show your support, then please visit podchaser.com, search for Architecture Business Club, and leave a glowing five-star review. 
It would mean so much to me and makes it easier for new listeners to discover the show. If you just want to connect with me, you can do that on most social media platforms. Just search for at Mr. John Clayton. The best place to connect with me online, though, is on LinkedIn. You can find a link to my profile in the show notes. Remember, running your architecture business doesn't have to be hard and you don't need to do it alone. This is Architecture Business Club. 